sorry to bring it up, but do you have some relationship stress in your life? Maybe it's a, uh, a family relationship that's really strained or uh, maybe some ongoing tension with a neighbor. Or what about your uh, past? When you look in the uh, rearview mirror of your life, do you see uh, some relational wreckage, uh, some relationships on the side of the road, broken, damaged because of how you mismanaged conflict? Well, when I look in my rear view mirror, uh, I, I do see uh, relationships that I, I wish I would have handled conflict differently. And I bet you feel the same way. I, I bet you feel like you wish that you had a, a mentor uh, who could teach you how to handle conflict better. Well, today I'd like to introduce you to such a mentor uh, as we continue our study in the heroes and villains of the Old Testament. Uh, Today, our hero is a man named Nehemiah, and he's a hero for many reasons, uh, but especially because of the way that he teaches me how to handle relational conflicts in my life. And Nehemiah in his story, reveals several truths about conquering conflict. He gives me several tools for conquering conflict. And he dispels several myths about conquering conflict. And Nehemiah reveals these truths and gives these tools and dispels these myths in the story that bears his name uh, in the Old Testament. And you may want to turn to the book of Nehemiah now in your Bible or uh, in your device, and uh, uh, you might want to follow along. In chapter 1, we find out that uh, God has placed this man, Nehemiah, in a very strategic position. Nehemiah is a close friend and trusted advisor to Artaxerxes, who is the king of the Persian Empire and therefore uh, the most powerful man on earth at that particular time. And in the last verse of chapter 1, Nehemiah uh, supplies his official title. He says in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, I was cupbearer to the king. As cupbearer, Nehemiah was literally responsible for making sure that the king's food and drink had nothing deadly in it. But in a larger sense, uh, as cupbearer, Nehemiah stood as the one person in the kingdom that the king could trust with his very life. Uh, Choosing a cupbearer as a king in those days was a life and death decision. Uh, History records that Artaxerxes' father was killed in his sleep by his cupbearer, which uh, seems like a pretty serious failure in the background check area. But, you know, that uh, uh, just demonstrates that Nehemiah was a lot more than just an employee to the king. Nehemiah was the king's most trusted friend. And the closeness of this relationship is described in chapter 2, when one day Nehemiah is interacting with the king and the king stops and says, whoa, 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 hold on, Nehemiah, uh, you seem like there's something wrong in your life. You seem to be upset about something. What's going on? And to this, Nehemiah explains in chapter 2, verse 3, I said to the king, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? 
So these words from Nehemiah are important for two reasons. First, uh, these words get to the main storyline of this book. Nehemiah is referring to the city of Jerusalem, which is defeated and devastated under the control of King Artaxerxes. Uh, and the people were suffering malnutrition and vicious attacks uh, because there was a law on the books that prevented uh, the people of Jerusalem from rebuilding the walls, the protective walls around their city. Uh, walls that had been pulled down by enemies uh, over a hundred years earlier. Uh, and in those days, a city uh, without walls would be like today, a city without a police force. And so it was chaos in Jerusalem. Uh, it was constant insecurity that made it impossible to conduct business or feed a family. And this is the situation that is breaking Nehemiah's heart. Now, the second reason that these words uh, from Nehemiah are important is because right here, Nehemiah supplies the first truth, uh, the first conquering conflict truth. And it is this. Maintaining healthy relationships requires wise expression of hurts and disappointments. Uh, in these words, Nehemiah says in chapter 2, uh, he's addressing a relational conflict uh, between him and his friend, the king Artaxerxes. What is the conflict? Well, I mentioned that there's a law on the books that prevents God's people from rebuilding their wall around Jerusalem. Well, guess who wrote the law? Uh, yep, it was Artaxerxes. And that fact comes out in the book of Ezra, chapter 4. Uh, Anyway, Nehemiah had been praying for a long time and God led Nehemiah to step out and actually reveal to the king his hurt and disappointment about all of this. And so Nehemiah was honest. And so what was the result of his honesty? Well, the king said, Nehemiah, I'm sorry. I didn't realize this. What can I do to help you rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Because Nehemiah was honest about his hurt, the, it gave the king an opportunity to fall over himself to restore and, uh, and to heal this relationship and make things right. And so the king repealed the law that prevented them from rebuilding. The king gave Nehemiah a leave of absence so he could be the supervisor of this rebuilding project. And the king gave Nehemiah... Uh, money to purchase some of the materials to get the thing started. Uh, did this conflict resolution go well? Yeah, it was a slam dunk uh, for uh, Nehemiah. And one of the reasons that Nehemiah got such a great result here is because he was wise in his words. Uh, notice what Nehemiah says and what he does not say. Uh, Nehemiah says, King, I feel sad. I feel hurt. I feel down. And do you see by how uh, Nehemiah uh, uses I statements? Uh, he avoids accusing uh, the king in a way that would make him defensive. I mean, I guarantee that uh, if Nehemiah had taken a... Uh, a different approach using you statements, he would have gotten a much different result. I mean, if he went in and said, uh, Artie, baby, uh, uh, do you know why I'm sad? It's because you made a lousy law. It's because you are starving my people. 
and you better do something about that. Well, if Nehemiah had taken that approach, I have a feeling that uh, he would have had his cup shoved down his throat. Uh, but Nehemiah was wise. And he gives us here uh, this first conflict conquering tool. So Nehemiah's conquering conflict tool number one is wise expression of hurt and disappointments uh, uh, employ I statements instead of you statements. This is a very important tool that seems really simple, but I, I know from experience that um, it can be hard for people to learn. I remember uh, counseling a married couple who spent most of their relationship bickering with each other, uh, and the wife had a favorite dig at her husband. It was, uh, you are a jerk. And uh, I, I would say, you know, Cindy, uh, you know, uh, it's very accusatory when you use you statements. Let's try, uh, Cindy, why don't we try to de-escalate the anger here uh, by using an I statement that uh, expresses your thoughts and your feelings about the situation. And so Cindy paused and then uh, uh, looked at her husband and said, uh, okay, honey, listen, I think you are a jerk. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, like I said, I mean, it's a simple tool, but, you know, some people have a hard time, uh, you know, learning it. But with God's help, you can do this. Uh, in fact, right now, uh, God is bringing to your mind a relationship. And this is a relationship uh, that will move forward with healing and restoration if you would just step up with a few wise words uh, related to your hurt and disappointment, saying, Something like, uh, you know, something happened along the way in our uh, relationship and I got a little hurt and uh, uh, it was something that was said or something that was done. And you can do this. You can sit down with a friend over a cup of coffee and explain how your feelings were dinged a little bit. And, and just this simple step of honesty uh, could resolve the conflict. Because nine times out of ten, the people that we have conflicts with in our relationships, they don't even know that there's a conflict or that we're hurt or disappointed. And just by bringing something up, you can clear the air. It could work out as a slam dunk like it did for Nehemiah for you. On the other hand, you could do everything right and you could have your coffee cup shoved down your throat. Because <laughs> the truth is, uh, when you get honest with a, with a person, you know what that does? That releases that person to get honest with you. And it can be messy. Uh, but being honest about hurt and disappointment is the necessary first step in conflict resolution, and it's the only way you can maintain healthy relationships. Back to Nehemiah. Because he expressed honesty uh, with wise words, uh, he left Artaxerxes with everything he needed to rebuild this wall. And by supervising this project, Nehemiah was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. Nehemiah was in the center of God's will, and therefore everything uh, related to the project went smoothly from that point on, right? Wrong. As soon as Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, that's when the conflict really started. And this is where Nehemiah uh, dispels a big myth about conquering conflict. Uh, the conquering conflict myth number one is the closer I walk in God's will, the fewer relational conflicts I will experience. This is a myth that 
uh, a lot of people end up believing and it causes a lot of confusion. I, like a lot of people, I have a tendency to assume that if I have relational conflict in my life, it's because I am doing something wrong. And this is not necessarily true. It might be true. Uh, if I have a lot of relational conflict in my life, it might be a sign that I am selfish. Uh, God says in James chapter 4, uh, what causes conflicts and quarrels among you? Uh, it's because you covet and don't get what you want, and so you, covet, you, so you quarrel and fight. And so God says that at the root of all conflict is selfishness. So if I have a lot of relational conflict, it may be that I'm a selfish person who wants what I want when I want it, and, uh, and, and that's possible. But it's also possible that the selfishness that causes the conflict lies with someone else. And it is possible that I can live unselfishly and be doing God's will, God's way, and actually experience more conflict and not less in my life. Jesus proves this. Jesus lived a perfect life and walked perfectly in the Father's will, and yet he had relational conflicts so severe that everywhere he went, people wanted to kill him. Just like Jesus, Nehemiah was doing God's will in God's way, and yet he was besieged with conflict on every side. For instance, as uh, Nehemiah started the rebuild, three influential uh, leaders surrounding Jerusalem started causing problems. Uh, their names were Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And in chapter 2, these influential leaders start a campaign of ridicule and mockery designed to uh, discourage Nehemiah and his workers. And in chapter 4, uh, these villains... Uh, start a campaign of threatening attack designed to frighten Nehemiah and his workers. And when all of this uh, didn't stop the rebuilding, uh, these villains uh, launched a plan to assassinate Nehemiah. Now, this is bad, but as bad as this sounds, the worst conflict was not coming from the outside. Uh, the worst conflict that Nehemiah had to deal with was on the inside in Jerusalem. Most of the people in Jerusalem were so poor they couldn't feed their families. But in Jerusalem, there were some rich people. And these rich people were not helping with the wall as much as they should. They were not paying for the wall like they should. And in fact, worse than this, infinitely worse, was that they were exploiting the poor people who were working on the wall. Uh, having no money for food, the poor people went to the rich people for loans for food, and, uh, uh, and then these rich people started charging their poor neighbors uh, interest that the poor could not pay back. And uh, when the poor couldn't pay back the interest, then the rich started enslaving their poor neighbor's children. And the poor came to Nehemiah with an outcry and a, uh, a charge. And so Nehemiah writes this, or says this in chapter 5. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. But then I pondered the situation in my mind. Afterward, I approached the nobles and officials. I told them, what you're doing is not right. So, in these words, Nehemiah teaches the truth, gives a tool, and dispels a myth. Uh, let's start with uh, Nehemiah's uh, second 
uh, conquering conflict truth, which is maintaining healthy relationships requires me to take active responsibility for conflict resolution. Uh, when Nehemiah learned the details of how the rich were exploiting the poor, Nehemiah took active responsibility for conflict resolution. Nehemiah, uh, in verse 6, Nehemiah got angry. And this is good anger. This anger was a, I am fed up. I am not going to tolerate this kind of conflict in our family type of response. And frankly... It is past time for some of us to get fed up with the unresolved conflict in our homes. It's time that we stop just tolerating the bad blood flowing in our families. You know, take an honest look at your marriage. Uh, if you're yelling at each other, giving each other the silent treatment, freezing each other out, don't tolerate that. Don't tolerate this. God wants you to step up and take active responsibility for conflict resolution. You need to decide that you're not going to wait for your spouse to take the first move. You are going to take active responsibility for conflict resolution. And take an honest look at your kids. If your kids are screaming at each other, calling each other names, using foul language, and uh, hating each other, you need to get fed up and decide that you're going to not tolerate this kind of unresolved conflict in your home anymore. You need to decide that you're going to help your kids communicate constructively through conflict. You're going to give them the tools that they need to resolve conflict, and you're going to insist that they use those tools. What kind of tools? Well, Nehemiah gives us an important conflict resolution tool in these words. We just read from uh, chapter 5. Nehemiah says, I was angry, but then I pondered this situation in my mind. And then I... Uh, went to the uh, folks and said, this isn't right. Uh, Nehemiah gives us an important tool here. Conflict, uh, conquering conflict tool number two is active conflict resolution employs techniques for de-escalating anger. When he heard about the exploitation, Nehemiah was really angry. But verse 7 contains the anger de-escalation technique. He says, I pondered the situation in my mind. What was Nehemiah doing when he was pondering? He was taking a, a deep breath and he was taking time to analyze his anger and saying, what am I really angry about here? During his pondering, he was strategizing what he was going to say uh, that would be effective to resolve the con uh, conflict. And Above all, Nehemiah was giving himself some time to calm down because he knew that without a decompression period, he would say something he regretted and he would ruin the opportunity for conflict resolution. This decompression period concept is a tool that you can use at home and you can teach your kids how not to abuse each other in the midst of a conflict. In the midst of the fight, you can help your kids by separating them for a decompression period of even just two minutes. But those two minutes could save your kids from a scar 
that will scar their relationship for the rest of their lives. This is just one technique for de-escalating anger. Another technique is called attack the problem and not the person. And this is where you help your kids uh, to stop using words designed to hurt each other and start conversation on the problem. And as they agree what the problem is, then they can start attacking the problem with solutions. And another approach is the egg timer technique. This is where you get out the, the three-minute uh, you know, egg timer, hourglass thing, and you give it to one kid and say, now you get three minutes to express yourself constructively, and then you give it to the other kid, give them three minutes to express themselves constructively. Then you give it back to the first kid and say, before you can talk now, you need to repeat what you heard your uh, brother or sister say. And this is just a technique to uh, teach them how to express themselves constructively and to listen well. And, of course, these techniques are not just for kids. You can use this in your marriage or in your other relationships. I uh, bring my egg timer with me everywhere. And uh, so you may be getting this later. I, I get it first, okay? Uh, but this uh, actually leads to uh, the myth, uh, the myth that Nehemiah dispels. Conquering conflict, myth number two. God expects me to resolve all conflicts I have with all people. This is a myth. While it's true God wants me to resolve conflict where I can, God knows that I can't resolve conflict with people who refuse to be at peace with me. That's why Jesus couldn't resolve conflict with the people who hated him. That's why Nehemiah could never resolve conflict with Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem. Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem. Sounds like an evil law firm, doesn't it? I, uh, I, I mentioned that, that these guys had an assassination plot. And uh, the plot began with inviting Nehemiah to a fake peace talk where they were going to kill him. But Nehemiah knew that they had no desire to really resolve conflict, and so he didn't fall for it. God doesn't want you falling for guilt over conflict that can't be resolved because the other person is twisted in mind or hating in heart. Maybe you're a student, and you're being bullied at school. Don't try to resolve that. Go to an adult leader and, uh, and get some help. Uh, maybe you're the victim of uh, an abusive person. Don't try to resolve that. Get out and demand change before you get back into that relationship. Nehemiah focused his conflict resolution efforts on those wealthy people in uh, Jerusalem. And because Nehemiah conf confronted that conflict constructively, uh, those wealthy people repented and they paid back everything to those poor people. And, and Nehemiah made con uh, conflict resolution where he could, but he never uh, tried to uh, make uh, conflict resolution with uh, those three villains who didn't really want to make peace. Uh, which leads us now to, uh, to, the, to the next, next truth, and that is that Nehemiah understood the difference between these different kinds of relationships because he was listening to God in prayer. When you read Nehemiah, you will be surprised at how Nehemiah prays at every step. 
he prayed before talking to Artaxerxes. He prayed while talking to Artaxerxes. He prayed while uh, those three villains were uh, threatening. He prayed after they made their threats. Nehemiah prayed before, during, and after all his relational con- uh, conflicts. And this is why he's a hero for us to follow. Uh, Nehemiah gives us in this model a truth. He gives us a tool and he dispels a myth. First, conquering conflict truth. Number three, a healthy relationship with God requires that I rely on him for guidance in my relational conflicts. One of the reasons God doesn't shield me from conflicts in my relationships is because He wants every conflict to drive me into his arms for his counsel and his guidance. God wants to, you know, bring these, uh, these, uh, wants me to bring these conflicts to him and then listen to him. And that, that's the tool that, uh, that Nehemiah teaches, conquering conflict tool number three. Listen to God in prayer about each and every relational conflict in your life. Uh, God doesn't want my relational conflicts to increase my stress level, but God does want my relational conflicts to increase my prayer level. Uh, these conflicts invigorated Nehemiah's prayer life, and God wants every conflict to draw me to him in prayer. And this leads to the final myth that Nehemiah dispels. Conflict conquering myth number three. God wants me to be a peacekeeper who avoids conflict. This is a myth. This is a lie. God does not want me to be a peacekeeper who avoids conflict. God wants me to be a peacemaker who is willing to confront in order to be a source of God's blessing in the people around me. Uh, In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. He doesn't say peacekeepers. And there's a big difference between being a passive peacekeeper and an active peacemaker. If Nehemiah believes the myth uh, and avoided conflict, he would have missed God's divine purpose for him. And the poor would have remained in exploitation. God calls me to love people enough to be a peacemaker. God wants me to be like Nehemiah and courageously confront out of a commitment to peace. You know, if you are in a conversation and uh, it starts toward malicious gossip, uh, God wants you to be a hero who steps up and says, hey, let's not be negative. Let's talk positively about this person. Or if you're with someone who is tearing down the leadership of this church or is sowing seeds of disunity, God wants you to step up and protect the unity of this body. If you're a student and you see someone being bullied at school, God wants you to step up and go to an adult leader. If You have a friend, and that friend is in the process of making a big mistake with drugs or a bad relationship. God wants you to step out in love and say something. If you have members of your family who hate each other, God may just want you to at least offer to be a peacemaker in that relationship. God doesn't want you to be a peacekeeper. He calls you to be an active peacemaker like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a hero 
in God's eyes because he handled conflict God's way. Nehemiah was committed to building peace by building that protective wall. But more importantly, he built healthy relationships through his commitment to making peace. Follow Nehemiah's example. Receive the truths. Use the tools. Dispel the myths so that you can conquer conflict in your relationships and be a hero in God's eyes.